This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're going to do something totally different today. Is that okay? Okay. Um, I'm going to just share very briefly some verses from the Bible that I believe need that I, I believe God wants to store our faith for the area of healing, and that we're going to take communion together, and we're going to pray for everyone that's not feeling well in here. Uh, if there's people at home that could not make it because they're unwell, I want, to, I want you to find some sort of cloth, a scarf, anything. We're going to pray for that, and you're going to take it home, and we're going to put it on their pillow, on their bed, somewhere. We're going to believe for God to, to touch uh, not only our lives, uh, to touch those that maybe are unwell at home. I'm specifically thinking this morning of Chris. Uh, I thought I saw Heather. Is Heather here? Yeah, how's Chris doing? Yeah, so we're going to send something home with Heather today, and we're going to believe God for a supernatural turnaround over Chris's life. For those that don't know, I'll let you to talk to Heather after. Just been dealing with some infection in his foot that's been uh, not good at all, and so we want to be able to pray for him. I know there's others as well in the congregation, and I've had a lot of people ask me about myself, and so we're going to I'm going to pray for him. We're going to pray for me too. Is that okay? I'm going to get a little, a little selfish this morning and, and ask for prayer um, because I've been just kind of struggling through a lot of things over the last number of months. Um, but how many know that God's bigger? Okay, all three of you agreed with that. How many know God's bigger? Amen. Um, I was reading a book to Abby and Gracie this week. It's a book we got Gracie for her birthday, and it's called Good, Good Father. And I'm not going to read it to you this morning. I'm not going to do any child time, you know, sit on my rocking chair and rock back and forth and, you know, listen to my storytelling. Although my kids love my storytelling ability, especially when I read the Swedish books. They don't want Sandra to read. They want me to read because I do the Swedish accent much better (laughs) than than she does, even though she's Swedish. Um, Anyone ever watch the Muppets? Okay. All right. That's good. Yeah, I have a unique talent, you know, many unique talents. But we're reading this story, and this whole book is talking about um, all of these different attributes or aspects of God that make Him who He is. And in every little aspect of the story, it talks about, yes, He's a good, good Father because He does, and then it fills in the blank with one particular word based upon part of the story on that page. And so I got to this one page where it talked about The good, good father is somebody who heals. And it struck me as I was reading it. And I'm like, you know what? There are far too many Christians, far too many churches, and far too many believers that are suffering in sickness. And honestly, it irritates me. Irritates me to no end. Because what is it literally saying? It says that the enemy's winning, God's church is losing. I don't like that. And I'll tell you one thing, as I read that story to Gracie and Abigail this week, I I literally came away from that going, Lord, that's that's no good. And something started stirring up in me, like, you know what, the church has got to stand up and rise up and stand on the word of God and start declaring what God has already said about his church. Amen? And so I I honestly believe that Carling, I don't know if she's still in here, but Carling's there, thank you for sharing that, that was awesome. How many know that in one moment, one word from God can change your life? And I honestly believe this morning that there's some of you that came in this morning and you maybe not have verbalized it to those you love or those you came with, 
But inside you're thinking, God, I want to leave different today. God, I want to experience you in a way that I've never experienced you before this morning. I'm believing for the same thing. And what I want to do this morning is so simple. It's so basic. There's absolutely no, um, I've got no talent in my ability to communicate this other than the fact that I'm literally going to read you the verses from the Bible that talk about healing. Is that okay? I'm not going to do anything else. I may throw in some side jokes just to get you guys awake, you know, things like that. But I'm literally going to just read the word and just expand upon it just a little bit with each verse. And then we're going to take communion together and we're going to pray for everybody that is in this place that is not feeling well, that's been dealing with uh, any type of issue. It can be physical, it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be anything. Because God wants you whole, spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, for those that are taking notes, it's not on the screen, but it's a good verse to know. Amen? So, I want to start with one cool little verse that I came across and stumbled across on Friday. It's Proverbs 4.22. It says, God's promises are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. God's promises are life to those that find them. How many know that life sometimes is about an adventure and we're trying to find the things of God? How many know that sometimes God speaks in parables? Why? Because he wants to see if someone is going to track with him long enough to find out the goodies that are on the other end. People that don't really want to know don't don't go after it. They get settled and comfortable with where they're at. So I want to just share a verse, very first sermon that Jesus himself ever preached. It's Luke 4.18, and it says this. The Spirit of the Lord, we sang about that this morning, which was awesome, is upon me because he has anointed me. The anointing is another word to say the the presence of God or the tangible glory of God uh, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, which is now also available to us as believers. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal. Say heal. The brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Can I say this morning, God's entire plan is to undo what the enemy's done. But then to make your life better than the original. How many know you see some of the original designs, but you want better? When God restores, when God heals, when God brings blessing and favor in those areas, He does it so that it's better than the original design. That's God's heart, and it's, as a matter of fact, it's actually scripturally proven in the original words of the Hebrew and the Greek. Look at Jesus' pattern. I want you to follow with me this morning. Matthew twelve fifteen. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, and a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. Some? All. Okay. Matthew 14. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Some? All. Okay. Do we see a pattern developing? Okay. Luke 4.40, it says, When the sun was setting, all those, who had any, uh, all those who had any that were sick were various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. How many? Every. All. Okay. And here's my verse that I just love. I, whenever you get to me, you know, talking about the work of God and the work of healing, this is the verse I always land on. You've probably heard me say it before, so I'm going to say it again. Acts 10.38, probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Interestingly enough, the description in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4 
of the work of the Holy Spirit on a Christian's life, not on Jesus, but on a Christian's life, is the perfect description of this. Of the Holy Spirit and power. Dunamis. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Dunamis. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Dunamis. Acts chapter 8. Dunamis. Acts chapter 10. Dunamis. Acts chapter 19. Dunamis. Same words. Same use. What do we get the English word for? Dynamite. What does it mean? It means it has an impact. It means the impact of God, of the presence of God on our lives, changes that what is natural. Super changes natural. So now, I'm going to read this verse again. I want to start again, and I want you to hear it, not with how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, but I want you to read it like how God anointed Cameron of Kingston. How God anointed Stuart of Kingston. How God anointed Diana of Sydenham. That great metropolis north of here. How God anointed Joel of Kingston. Okay? We ready? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, put your name in there, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. Well, what do we know what the good was? Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Healing all who were what? Oppressed by the devil. So what is sickness being used as? It's a work of the devil. How do we know there's no sickness in heaven? Because if it was a tool of God, it would still be there. John 10.10 says the thief does not come to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's not good. But God comes. Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit comes that you'd have life. And that you'd have it more abundantly. The word there for life is zoe, and it literally means the absolute fullness of the life of God. I like it. How many want that? Amen? Can I say this morning, I've grown up in church my whole life, and one of the greatest disconnects that I struggle with in my whole life was the, uh, the concept that God actually wants something for me. I don't know if you've ever grown up in a church where they talk about the sovereignty of God and that's all they talk about is the sovereignty of God. Then everything is just a supernatural move of God and you just have to hope that you just picked up the right cards that morning to get the blessing of God. And I realized in one day in my life as I was growing up and and not understanding a lot of things, I came to this realization that don't I get what Jesus already paid the price for? Why is it that I continue to do things that it's almost like I'm putting Jesus back up on the cross. He's already paid the price. He doesn't have to go back to the cross. He's already paid the price. So he has broken the law of sickness. He's broken the law of sin. He's broken those laws that literally brings death. Interestingly enough, there's two dimensions of death that are mentioned in Scripture. There's spiritual death, which is separation from God, and there's physical death, which is, as a result, for the most part, 99% of the time, is disease, sickness, or something that causes us to pass away. Jesus broke the power of that. God's heart is not that we suffer. The only thing God promises us to suffer is persecution. And how many know that when you suffer persecution, it's proof to the enemy and to everybody that you must be doing something right? Because he wouldn't care or give a rip about you 
if he didn't. So what was the pattern that he gave the disciples? Matthew 10, 1, he says, And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Matthew 10, 7, 8, a couple of verses later, it says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely you've received, freely give. I don't know about you, but that would be a really good day. How many have ever woke up in the morning and thought to yourself, man, by the end of this day today, I want to have seen uh, lepers cleansed, uh, the dead raised to life, the sick healed. I don't know about you, but that's a good day. I, I could handle that day. I don't know about you guys, but I could definitely handle that day. John 14, 12, an amazing verse, describing the church, describing us. It says, most assuredly, Jesus saying to his disciples, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Why? Because the very thing, Acts 10.38, that anointed him to overcome the enemy is the very thing that he's anointed us to do, the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus is on us. I don't know about you, that's pretty good. How many have ever read John 14.12 and tried to explain it away? Well, I don't know if that's me. Oh, I don't know how we can do that. But that's Jesus' words to his disciples. You will do greater things than these. Mark 16, 15 to 18. This is the Great Commission. It says, And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no, by no means hurt them. Now, I don't recommend um, being like the West Virginian churches um, that actually take this literally, and, and, and uh, I don't recommend that. So don't leave this morning and think that I said anything like that. Okay, all right. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Healing is an integral aspect of the Great Commission. So how does it connect to communion? Thanks for asking. Matthew eight seventeen, direct quote from Isaiah. It says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself, Jesus himself, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. I've always wondered, why in the world is Isaiah 52's description of Jesus on the cross being that nobody could recognize him? Nobody could recognize Jesus on the cross. Now think about this for a second. If you've been with somebody for 30 years, you've known them, you know everything about them, you know their facial features, you know the way they look, they, you know everything about them, and you're looking at them on the cross, and there is no way in your right mind that you can actually dis- to describe or even decipher whether that's Jesus on the cross. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, there's three of them up there, so I just hope I guess the right one. But that is how bad it was. They couldn't recognize him. I remember one of the most disturbing moments of my life personally um, was when my, my dad's mom was near death. And I, I think it was you and I, Mom, that went in the ICU. I think it was you and I that went in. And we were going in the ICU to say, basically to say hi to Grandma and really for the most part to say goodbye to Grandma. And I remember walking in and she had gone downhill so fast in a matter of three days that I, who had known her my whole life, 
I was in my 20s at the time. I had known her my whole life. Didn't recognize her. I walked right past her. And then the, we had to ask the nurse. The nurse took us back. This is Isla Davidson. And it broke my heart because I couldn't recognize my own grandmother. And I remember having a moment after that thinking, I wonder if that's what it was like for Jesus and his followers. That they literally were looking at him. Couldn't tell. Is that you? Sickness is awful. Disease is awful. I think every one of us has somebody that we know in our lives, whether it's our family, friends, extended family, that knows of somebody that has gone through the battle, even with cancer or other things like that, and have struggled to see the, the, just that struggle that they go through. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I hate the works of the devil. And God's in the business right now of the church rising up and taking the authority that has already been given to us to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to literally heal the sick. Now, we know that it's not us doing it. It's God doing it. So we can't take credit. That's awesome. But there's something that is rising up in the church of God today that's saying enough is enough. The enemy is not winning anymore. We are going to stand up, we're going to rise up, and we're going to do business with the enemy because we know we've already won. And how do we know? Read the end of the book. It's already there. We already win. So it's great confidence when you go into a situation or into a battle knowing you've already won the battle, you've already won the war, you're not battling it because you're going to lose, you're going to battle it because you're going to win. What great confidence we can have, amen? The connection to communion. He's quoting Isaiah 53. I want to read Isaiah 53 to you this morning. It says, He's despised and rejected by men. All of his followers left him that morning except one, John. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He understood rejection. He understood the pain of uh, of broken relationships. He understood the pain of, uh, of all of those things that he experienced. He experienced things in a way that we could never understand. And it says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Another word for sin. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, it says this, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Uh, retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Man, I wish I could be like that. <laughs> How many have ever had somebody do something to you and the first thing in your mind is not very godly? Right? I'm so glad Jesus loves us. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, the humanity of our humanity rears its ugly head when we least expect it, right? But I'll tell you, God loves us. God heals us. God sees beyond what we could ever see. It says, and when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. Wow. Isn't that awesome? And as a result, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds 
we are healed. I want to say this morning as we are about ready to, to kind of take communion, I want to share a couple of things. Number one, how many have ever gone through a battle where you just feel like you don't got much left in the tank to keep battling? Let's be honest. We all have, I think. How many know that the very first thing that leaves us usually in that process is perspective? Right? Second thing is peace. Right? Usually our joy. Right? It's something that just keeps checking out. And I understand why. I probably understand more why than you ever think because I'm, I, I feel much. <laughs> my weakness is that I feel a lot. I love much. I feel a lot. That's part of my weakness. But the one thing that I've realized is that God understands exactly where you are. Sometimes we create churches where we make people feel bad for suffering. We make people feel like they don't have enough faith. And I can honestly say to that, it's one of the most disheartening, discouraging, frustrating things I think I've ever heard in a, in a church setting. The family of God was meant to simply be the family of God. When someone suffers, the Bible says, we all suffer. When someone rejoices, the Bible says, we all rejoice. When there's somebody suffering in the body, it means we're all suffering. How many have ever had a situation where you're kind of just disconnected from someone else's struggle or someone else's pain, but then something happens to your family, and it's like, oh my, like, where is everybody? Can I say this morning, you know what the greatest act of the church could ever be? It's not to sit down and try to explain away why you have what you have. Not to explain away all the sins that led to this. Not to explain why your life has just been an open door for the enemy. You know what the best thing we can do? Is to sit down and say, listen, I have no clue why we're here today. I have no clue why you're struggling with what's going on. I don't even understand, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going anywhere. And as long as you struggle, I'm going to be right there with you. I've heard in the last week, people that have said some of the most profound things to me through text that I have held on to all week because I've been suffering, frustrated, struggling. Like, God, what is going on? I know this is not what we're supposed to carry. And can I say this morning, yes, it's the love of God that's got me through, but I'm telling you, I have had emails and texts and phone messages that have literally kept me going for the last two weeks. Thank you for being a church. The church doesn't have it all together. The church doesn't have an answer for everything. But the church has got to be the church. The church is the family. There comes a moment in all of our lives where we have to drop our prejudices and our judgments on everyone else. And we've got to look with reality through our eyes and say, listen, I don't understand what they're going through. But you know what? This is the devil harming my brother, harming my sister, and I'm not going to let it happen anymore. Can you imagine what the church of the living God will be like if we all think like that and we all act like that? Can I be honest this morning? 
for the first 22 years of my life, the first thought in my mind when I saw someone going through something was, well, serves them right. Got a job working at a youth shelter in downtown Oshawa, and my eyes were opened. And I saw situations that, honestly, I hope I never see again, but I'm sure I will because I know this church is called to influence the city of Kingston, and that doesn't mean that we're going to pick our favorites and pick and choose who we get to minister to. We're going to minister to everybody. But my eyes were opened because I saw situations that I only saw on TV or on the news, and I realized this is reality. Can I say this morning, those people don't need your amens and your prayers. They need you to be Jesus in the midst of a very dark situation and a very dark situation, a season of their life. When God's word comes, it paints a picture. God's word paints a picture of what he wants his church to emulate. And I honestly believe he's passed the baton to the church to say, don't do church. Be the church. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 